Hi, Marwa. Hey, Leila. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to chat with you today, and I'm so excited to turn 12 years of lessons at Vela Scarves into one like one hour episode. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it's been that long, but I'm so excited for that too. Before we get started, who are you? Okay, so my name is Marwa Atik, and I am the co-founder and designer at Vela, which is a fashion-forward hijab line that is committed to empowering women through their choice and modesty. We design and produce everything in-house by local artisans, and we're dedicated to providing a platform to support Muslim women. Amazing. And let's start from the beginning, Marwa. I, I believe you started the company when you were 18. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's go through that story. Where did you grow up, first of all? I mean, I kind of grew up all over Southern California. So my family kind of always moved. So I never really stayed in one specific city. So I would go from like Inland Empire. For a while, we lived in LA. For a while, we lived in Orange County. For a minute, we lived in Syria at a certain point. So I'm kind of like a hybrid between of LA and OC. I would say me growing up. So you're Syrian-American in Southern California. And what's the story between you growing up all over to you starting Vela Scarves? You know, I never really connected the dots in that way and seeing like how me growing up could possibly change or shape my career path or the choices that I make today. And I think it's mainly because I was always just used to starting from scratch. Um, I always had to move schools, always had to find new friends. So Vela was kind of very much of like a project starter in that way. I was very artistic and very, very visual. And definitely the person that did between average and below average in school. So I was very lost when it came to college because I didn't really know what to do. But Vela was kind of one of those things that fell onto my lap and something that the community really helped me grow. Um, I think it was like me just in the beginning, just designing scarves, just just to see people's like reactions through it. Then it was just like a Facebook page, Um, really just encouraged me and encouraged my sisters to really co-found the company together and like get it started. And I totally remember that because back 12 years ago, when you started Vela, I used to wear hijab and I, I mean, I still do, but I had hijab then on then as well. And to get hijabs, we had like two options, right? We'd either get hijabs from back home, which were just not really my aesthetic personally, or we'd like go to H&M and get like winter neck scarves and turn them into hijabs. And actually funny enough, and we'll talk about this later because we know that I literally only wear Vela. Now I don't look anywhere else, but for years I would go to like Forever 21 and grab like a neck scarf and be like, oh, I love this random blue scarf with clouds. It was crazy. It was such a struggle. For me, it was H&M. And I don't know if you ever went to like (laughs) Lomans when like Lomans was like a thing. But like Lomans also had these like circular neck scarves that came from China. And we would have to cut them to open it back up as like a full like wrap scarf. Um, So yeah, so we definitely had to get creative with it. And I felt like we had to make it work, right? It was either like a super stiff gauzy material or it was almost like a pashmina woven scarf and we just had to figure out a way to make it work yeah I I literally am seeing little baby Leila with the gauzy material and like the trim it's like you know like almost like yes (laughs) tablecloth trim I'm like too afraid to look back at at my photos because like the the come up was so real 
Oh man, I'm so excited to go into this. Okay, so you're 18. You don't love school. You don't know what direction you want to go to in college. And at this point, where did Vela start? Like, how did it all get started? Yeah, yeah. So it started with just like a lot of sketches that my friend took note in when we were like studying together. And she like really helped encourage me and um, motivate me to go to downtown LA to buy all these trimmings because she's like, I've never seen a scarf sketched out like that. So she's like, it's not just simple like graphic design that was sketched out. It was like actual like ruffles and trimmings and like zippers. So it was like more depth to it. And then my aunt at the time knew how to sew. So I kind of showed her the concept and I was like, can you help me make this? And the first scarf that we made together was like a zipper square. And then uh, we used to always find like new ways to style and like wrap our scarves. So like then it was like a very specific way that I love to like wrap my scarf and it helped emphasize the curves of like each zipper. So it looked even more beautiful. And I think I, the first time I wore it was at a KM and just instantly just questions asked about it. So it was, it was a very like step-by-step process. I don't think in the beginning I ever looked at it as a full-on business where I had to come up with a business plan and all this other stuff. Cause I think I, I think I wouldn't even have made the scarf had my friend not pushed me because the idea of example, like starting something or starting a business, I feel like people are their biggest setbacks. And I used to always set myself back with that. It's like, oh, like I can't do that. But When I did baby steps and I kind of like tricked myself, um, I think it kind of slowly led me onto this path where I am today. Also, it it like wasn't a thing, right? Like there literally weren't hijab companies. You'd go to the masjid and there would be a little room where they'd maybe sell hijabs and like, I don't know, sephaz and it would smell like all musky. But like hijab companies (laughs) in, in the United States weren't a thing. That and I also feel like starting a business, I don't think is as attainable or something that is was laid out visually to us then because the idea of even starting something and owning a brand, it wasn't something that people are like, oh, I can do this. So I think it was the combination of both of like being a Muslim minority living in America and wanting to be in the fashion industry at a time when fashion was not diverse at all and that combination plus working with hijab where people have not seen hijab in a very fashion forward light and the combination of starting a brand yeah all under 18 like I, I think a lot of the formula was just like different it totally was different and It's incredible. It's just really incredible to see because I literally remember you posting those pictures probably on Facebook back then of the zipper. You really like followed the full on journey. Like I feel like if if it's anyone, it's definitely you that that has seen all that like from the beginning to where Vela is now. Yeah, I had I was an original owner of the zipper hijab. I don't know where it is now, but I will. No way. Let me claim the title now. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay, so you're 18, you start this company, and then you go to fashion school. Was that after you'd started making her jobs? At what point did you say, I'm going to go to fashion school? And was it because of Vela? Yeah, it was definitely because of Vela. Um, my sister told me like, you know, you should definitely do this as a backup. My sister was a very like logical thinker. And I was very much of a dreamer. And I'm like, Oh, like, this is what I want to do. And she's like, No, you got to go back. You got to go to school. You got to learn more. So it was a combination of going back to school and learning from the industry itself while making Vela like happen. So while producing these scarves, and I was learning on my own, I was also taking classes. 
And I mean, thinking back then, like, it was just so crazy because I think majority of my experiences was was kind of like a melting pot of networking through um, FITM where I had went to school and learning and adapting in the actual like industry. And like um, we kind of went from sewing in our garages to finding like a cut and sew in downtown LA to then like traveling to India to like find an agent to really kind of make Vela like a, a full circle. Yeah, that's amazing. And so at that journey, you're in fashion school, you are learning at that point how to cut and sew yourself and in downtown figuring out how to get people to make your hijabs. By that point, did you turn it into like a business business? And who else was involved? Yeah, so I did turn it into a business. Like by then, in my mind, I was running a small business, but I don't feel like I ever took it seriously. I think like through college and and it was it was always like this side thing that I had and I was very passionate about, but I never, I, I would say like quit my side job because then I think I was working at Urban Outfitters at the time. Like I, I didn't put my full investment into it because I knew that the company had to had to grow and I couldn't just like, you know, easily just take the money out to pay bills or whatever. So for me, I'm like, all right, let me just keep growing this and growing the platform. And so then it was me and my sister who were involved and we hired just my cousins. So I remember like on a day after prayer, I would go back home to box up all of the orders. We wore all the hats. So if it was anything that we were able to do, we would sit down and do it and had very minimal outsourcing. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild that you guys did everything, but also very expected in the early stages of a business. Yeah. And it's it's advantageous too, right? Because you you wear all the hats. You know what it's like to cut, to sew, to ship, to have somebody email you and say, hey, like my zipper is torn. Now what? And you figure out customer yeah. service and you figure it all out. No, for sure. And I remember taking all these classes. And again, I was never a classroom setting person. Like um, classrooms are very boring to me. I don't thrive in them at all. It's really hard for me to take texts. I'm like a combination of reading comprehension and ADHD. So it was just never a good mix for me. But when I would take the classes, they were like too structured for me to really expand and learn. But then when I would go out and I would do the experience and be hands-on, my mind just was able to put puzzles together like differently. Like it was much clearer for me. So I think very early on, I was always interested in learning the concept of every part of the business. And I think now, like even calling myself a designer, I feel like I'm more of a director. Mm -hmm. I have like a vision. Yeah. And you know, you're wildly good at it, right? I understand that because I'm also a creative. I honestly think I became a good student at like 26 or 27 because I, I finally learned how I studied. When I was in high school, when I was in junior high, I was okay. What I was yeah. really good at was like science fairs and creative stuff. I killed the science fair every year. And like one year we even got the local fire department to give us a jacket so we could figure out what it would take to burn it. I mean, that would not fly That's, in this day and age. So but cool. <laughs> But I was really, really, really good at the, the creative stuff. And I know that now we're going more and more towards that. But I guess classrooms of our time, even now, honestly, frankly, like didn't necessarily engage all the different types of learners. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I was definitely that lost person in that classroom. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you figured it out, right? Like Vela is incredible yeah. and, and the vision is so clear. Yeah, and then I think also like I kept pushing myself. So even though I had setbacks, I still applied to AP classes. Not not because I wanted the college courses, but I thought it was my sister at a very early on, you know, I call her my second mom all the time. She really emphasized like you you need to push your brain harder and you need to exercise hmm. that part. So it's okay if you're struggling, it's okay if you don't get it, but it's going to make you stronger and being able to like adapt to different scenarios as you get older. So fortunate that she's been such a guiding force in your life and in the company. And as you and your sister and your family were doing all the things for Vela, and I'd imagine you were probably getting fabric from downtown, maybe cutting and sewing it yourself, shipping it out. At what point did you realize like, okay, it's time to go to the next level I want more. I'm going to start producing everything myself, not only designing it. Yeah, I think it's because, okay, so in the beginning, it was very much like design focused. It was like we were, you know, doing adding trimmings, ruffles, zippers, and that was something new and creative for our market. But then once we gave our customers that experience, then as people started becoming more aware of the choices that they were able to have with their hijab, then even me, like I felt like I was my my own customer too. Like I would make stuff depending on what I would like to wear. So then I noticed it was slowly translating towards comfort and then colors. So about like five, six years in, I think we were like, okay, we just like, we can't find the fabric that's out in the market. Downtown LA has, it's a lot of closeouts. So it's not ideal for us. And we were at a point where our business was growing and our customers were loyal. So we were like ready for that next jump. And I think exerted all of our resources around us that we just had to go to a place that could customize our own fabric. And we could supply our customers with something that was more curated and stayed true to like Bella's brand, because it went from like design to people wanted things more simpler. So I feel like now it's like solid scarves like all the way because mm -hmm. fashion does always go through the cycle so I know maybe a couple years down it's going to go back into like structural things so yeah so I think that's kind of what made us do that jump and you know it's incredible because at that point you were selling hijabs and after that jump you were selling an experience you were selling an image you were selling a really consistent feeling every time the hijab was worn even if you change the colors up like the experience and the feeling and the fabric was really consistent and beautiful yeah. you were selling predictability almost right mm -hmm. so exactly yeah so so how did that happen like you went to india you were mentioning what was that to go and figure out how to produce your own fabric like is is that when you went to india yes it was to figure out how to produce our own fabric. It was to work with an agent like overseas that could go to these factories because like we just can't, you know, drop everything and just fly out to India to check up on our quality control, which was what I was doing in downtown LA. And I think for us, that was also another big learning experience because we thought, oh, we we got the factory and we got the agent and they agreed to make the fabric for us and they agreed to dye all these colors. Like we're good. And we got just so excited and just like placed a huge order as this like thing that like, okay, like this is going to make it. And what we flopped on and what we realized very quickly is that through a new journey, you are going to have new set of problems, new set of defects and things that, things that you had to solve. And we were kind of left with in the end, like a huge inventory where like 
half of it was like a defect and it was something that our agent had to learn and we had to learn. And I think kind of why today we kind of go through so much quality control to the point where like Vela scarf is literally the softest fabric you will ever feel because of that huge mistake that we had made. It's actually the softest and every hijab feels the same, but also every color is really perfect and on brand for the season. Mm -hmm. So do you, what's that process like? So I do a lot of color forecasting. So it's just like predicting where colors are going to go based off of people's emotions and based off of what's happening. It's actually a lot of fun for me because it's taking all that data and uh, taking what people like, but then also predicting the like future colors. But then even with that, you would love to wear a red dress, like a red dress looks beautiful on on anybody. However, it's like, you don't really necessarily like the color red around your face. So it's kind of taking that trending color, but also making it adaptable and complementary towards a person's skin tone. So all of that, I think I just kind of source through, I look at anywhere between like runways, or example, now we take a look at the pandemic and what 2020 has brought us like people want to feel safe people want to feel comforted so we stick to calming colors it's all based on social it's like a mixture of social and like fashion industry phases and trends and that's the incredible thing like a lot of that is just the product of also your creativity and you just kind of getting it right Mm -hmm. like there's some things you just can't teach color forecasting maybe you can kind of teach but I feel like some people just get it and some just don't yeah and that's just like it's something you you just get Yeah, I think for me, it was always something that I loved investing my time in. I think like even in high school, I would just buy Vogue books. Like I think then um, it was like Seventeen magazine and there were like all these other ones like I I forgot the names of them, but they're like super colorful. I forgot the name of those mm-hmm. of those magazines with, with like all those boy bands and all my cousins would grab yeah. towards that. J14, was that the name? Something, I, yes, I can't even remember. Yes, <laughs> J14. It was, it was a tiger, something with a tiger in it. It was like Hilary Duff <laughs> and then like Hanson Brothers and all that other fun stuff. And they would gravitate towards that section and I would be in the other section of like Vogue. So I think at an early stage, I just loved looking at visual things. Yeah. yeah. And so... You have this incredible journey where you pick up this big learning in India, you have the texture figured out, you're forecasting the colors, and then what? Like, is that what it's like today or, well, before I guess we get to today, then what? Do you you end up changing manufacturers? Do you stick with that person? Then what? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. We like cut, we like cut ties. And now we knew exactly what it took to vet a factory before starting with them. We knew that we couldn't put all of our eggs in one basket. And we we decided instead of like, I think that time we're like no more mass production. And we realized that the best colors that were made because we would make these colors and dye them as sample pieces. And so we would create all these beautiful colors, but then when we would give it to like the big manufacturers, they would just like mess it up. And we noticed that when we lo- when when we worked with local artisans in these small towns, um, they were able to nail the colors better and dye them in smaller batches. So we realized like we wanted to go, it was like ethical for us. And um, it was a way of us not getting into the fast fashion and like mass production scene. And so there were just like a lot of learning curves. So I think for that, we decided to 
find our little golden eggs and put them into, you know, different areas. So we're not just hung on that one, one area. So like, if they produce it wrong, then there goes a whole line, like line of chain. So it was definitely a lot of like learning, learning experiences. And I think then I was super artistic and super visual, but I had to learn the hard way, especially at 18, because I guess my mind just wasn't ready or wasn't there yet. I think like I was never like I was business, I was business savvy. So like I was able to figure out ways to save on fabric and all this, all all these other things, but I wouldn't necessarily say I was like a CEO. And I think that was the hardest transition, like everything I was able to like quickly learn. But I feel like the hard part for me was almost like that corporate lifestyle. Mm. So, so then we hired more more people on hand. So I learned what it was like to be a manager. And I had to, I had to be okay with the fact of like letting go a lot because Vela was my baby at the time. And I was just me and my sister were doing all of it. And so it was learning that, okay, Marwa, like sometimes what's inside of your mind, people don't know what is going on. So you need to speak about it, because they're not Mm -hmm. just going to understand it. So that was like a learning curve for me. Yeah, that communicating your vision so it can get executed is so hard. But then on top of that, as you noted, going from creative to CEO, that that type of role in terms of thinking about who do we manage, managing payroll, making sure there's enough cash, um, cash flow and all all of those things. (laughs) They're just very different parts of the brain. Exactly. And so it went from like designing whatever I wanted to like, we had to be more practical and logical and plan things ahead of time. So we had to put the budget in right. And we can't exactly you literally nailed it. Like, there's just so many terms and so many new things that I had to learn. Yeah. And at this point, is the leadership team mostly you and your sister still? Yeah, it really is. Like, I feel like my sister is so good at nailing the operations. She's so good at um, she's like, her people skills is like, incredible. Like, I feel like her way of being able to um, connect all the dots is like something like, so admiring to kind of see and, um, and for me, like, I try to take traits on like that. Um, So we're like a good balance between the both. So I'm like the visionary and carry it on. And she's like operational. And, but I feel like we both execute on a executive level. Like I see it for me, like what makes a good brand is also being able to blend so well with your partner. Um, I don't know if it's just like a sister thing, but we're totally cool with like jumping in and out of like both hats. So like I'll kind of go into her role and she'll go into my role Again, I, I don't know if that's just like a way to do it for for any company. So I'm in no way saying that, but it, it works for us. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of trust in each other, but also trust in each other's ability to execute. The word execute, I think, is really critical here because at the end of the day, like a lot is expected from both of you and you both just make sure it gets done. And you know when you can count on each other to get, get each other's jobs done. Yeah, exactly. Because we have so many ideas. And like till this day, we have so many ideas that we just never got a chance to actually do. But I feel like what makes a business a good one is taking those ideas and being able to see it fully through from like A to Z. Yeah. And let's talk about that because you, so you started with your quintessential, like your, your Vela soft classic. I, I'm not sure what you call, what do you call like the basic hijab that you made? The, 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 the most model. Yeah. The model. So you yeah, started yeah, yeah. with these models, which are incredible. I literally have every color, like zero exaggeration. And Girl, I know <laughs> I, I see your order every time, but 
I seriously love you in every color. <laughs> Literally every color. And so you started out with these these um, rectangular ones and then went square and more recently went to a chiffon and then a jersey after really perfecting the modal. I would love to know about the process of starting from modal and then thinking through different product lines. What mm-hmm. pushed you to do that? And what did you learn? I think for us, it's like we had the modal market down and it was a new challenge for us it's like okay how do we make the best chiffon out there how do we make the best jersey out there because for me again I was very artistic in that way where like I knew like if we really put our heads down like we could just come out with like a quickly like a jersey scarf a chiffon scarf and whatever other fabrics are trending now in in the market but it wasn't about that it wasn't having more options it was about like having the right options because I truly believe that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good your marketing it is. It doesn't matter how big you appear on Instagram. None of that matters as much as your product, like your return rate of your, your customers. So we basically took everything that we learned from our Moldal experience and working with weavers closely, we figured out like our, our secret weight in grams that our customers like in order to feel comfortable and breathable. So then we had that secret number and we figured if we stuck to that number and we were able to produce it in all of the other fabrics, like relatively close to that, it will still give the person that same feeling. Because for us, it's like, how do we trust our customer who's like a diehard Moldal girl who will never convert into example, chiffon, jersey? Like, how do we convince her into that and gaining her trust? Because like, I have certain customers that that message me. They're like, I don't even wear jersey, but I'm going to go ahead and order it because I already know you're going to come out with like the best one. <laughs> so that means a lot to me because we, a lot of the stuff is research-based and I don't think a lot of people, a lot of people know that. You know, it's so funny you mentioned that because the last time I wore chiffon was like 15, 20 years ago when hijabs were like, wow, it was just like H&M and women. <laughs> when, your, when your chiffon came out, I had a little bit of PTSD and I was like, this reminds me of wearing like my mom's scarves in yeah. the early 2000s. But I was like, let me just buy one. I'll just buy <laughs> one. I bought one and it's now my go-to Zoom hijab because it doesn't wrinkle and it's like really pretty and it's just kind of sits by my <laughs> So now it's so funny. Literally yesterday, my sister-in-law sent me a text. And because we sent her a Vela gift card for her birthday. Aww. And she's like, oh, my God, I got the Vela jersey scarves. And they're so perfect. So soft. Exactly what I was looking to Aww. wear in the hospital and easily washable that I'm just reading a text right now. But like <laughs> it's that what you mentioned is exactly that where somebody like me is like, let me try chiffon, even though the word chiffon makes me a little allergic yeah, yeah, yeah. to my <laughs> historical experiences. And my sister-in-law being like, yes, because, you know, funny enough, she had asked me about jersey scarves a few months ago and I was talking to your your sister a few months ago who was like hey look out for a scarf drop so I kept telling my sister-in-law like don't buy a jersey scarf just trust me just wait just Just wait wait. (laughs) I love that we turn you into like a natural ambassador of Vela total evangelist total evangelist and I wonder like people know me from my neutrals and I like take pride in my color palette because I think it's good but I'm like wait is my color palette just Motowa's color palette (laughs) <laughs> just like a copy paste of Bella. Because everything has to match my hijab. Like, are you secretly the brains behind no, my palette? Not at all. I it's mean, true. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, for me, it's like that's exactly what it is. Like, you are like the perfect example of a Vela customer who who has been very loyal and you didn't even know or feel the jersey fabric, but it's like, but but you told 
your your sister in law to to just trust. Yeah, it. that's so true. Yeah, I so, didn't even think about that. I was like, believe me. <laughs> yeah, and that's the customer that we're that that we're trying to target. Like, um, I think a lot of people now, especially when they are shopping, um, are more conscious shoppers. I think then we never thought about our fabrics. We never thought about how how things drape on our bodies. But people have standards now. So for us, it's like that's the customer base that we work with and that and that we focus on. Totally. And I think something people who wear hijab will resonate with and people who don't may now understand after I say this is like every fabric when it falls on your face can take a different shape, right? So like Mm -hmm. you can buy something, but it might just look funny or look puffy or not feel right. And being able to kind of just remove that and know that the experience will be consistent has been such a lifestyle, quality lifestyle addition. It changes your whole mood too, because it's like, I mean, like it was so crazy thinking back to like 2008 days where it's like, we had no choice but to make it work. And we might just kind of like walk out feeling meh about ourselves. But it's like now it's like you walk out and like you feel good. And I truly believe that picking out your clothes from the start of your day can shape everything else because it's like it's your mood booster or it's how you it's how you visually show the world who you are. And I think that's what kind of Vela prides itself in is like we love a woman's choice to freely express her choice in modesty. It's it's a very powerful one. Um, we all know that. So why not like curate a line of scarves that, you know, rep- represent who she is? Yeah, I think there's something really powerful in that. And it's like that represent who she is part is so big because I was represented by like random hijabs I'd buy in bulk in Baghdad over the summer. Yeah, <laughs> or like same. You know? <laughs> we like a separate luggage that you would pack just to like pick out scarves. Yeah, and I'm like, well, this is fine. I I guess like it's kind of you know yeah. not really my aesthetic, but it's fine. So that's I think that's like definitely an experience that Gen Z will be like, what are you guys talking about? I just buy all my hijabs online. For us, that was not the case. No, not all that and like everything that and like skincare like. Zahra is oh my god I just love just watching her and seeing how she's growing and how she's adapting towards the market like she already has her gua sha <laughs> and her like skin routine down and she like asked me to take her shopping at Target and picking out clean products subhanallah it's so crazy how they're only like 12 and they're just so aware of the buying market and I was like what I mean, I guess that's good for me because it means that they're going to buy from Bella because I feel like a, a lot of them like love spending, but it's just so crazy. Like you totally nailed it. Like they had no idea what the struggle was like. No, no. And and, and Zada, she, your niece, she's like 12. And the fact that she has her skincare unlocked and probably will be wearing sunscreen every single day is just yeah. fortunate for her. But that, I mean, even even my kid, my kid is like two, Camila's two, and she wears sunscreen every day. I'm like, I, I wish I knew that. I love Speaking that. of Camila, an anecdote I have to tell. So as you know, you know, I'm a diehard Bella fan. And when Camila was nursing, there was not a pandemic. So I used to nurse her in her job a lot. And she got so attached to my Vela hijab that it was her lovey. And I was like, I, I don't want to give this to her every night. So we <laughs> we had a fabric that felt really similarly and put it in her hands. And until today, she won't sleep without it. And it's effectively like a kid swaddle that feels exactly like my Vela hijab. That's so sweet. You actually might just start a new Vela product line. Like we, we, we might just come out with like baby like swaddles or lovey. I spend as much on that stupid swaddle because we've replaced it like 17 times as much as a whole Vela yeah. hijab. So just in case you're wondering. That actually makes sense because like obviously like every time she's 
she's getting that good milk from you. She she's like yeah, touching that spark and feeling it. it. So for her, it's just like positive feels. Yep. Until now, she won't go to bed without. It's crazy. She won't go to bed without it, and we hand it to her, and she's just calm. And to yeah. this day, oh yeah, it's with her oh. now. She's napping. It's with her right now. I know it's wild. It's wild. Anyway, so so that's incredible. Before we get to the next part, I would love to hear about your routine next and kind of your day to day. But before we get there, let's do some lightning round. Okay. Last podcast. Almost layman. It was like a Sita chapter. Awesome. Describe yourself in three words. Funny, adventurous, and savage. <laughs> Favorite day of the week? Thursday. Uh, I want to ask why, but this is lightning round. So, yeah. so pinch me moment. <laughs> um, when I did the campaign with Nike. Amazing. And the last one is what's been your COVID passion project or side hustle or kind of the COVID thing that wouldn't have happened otherwise? Oh, hmm. Oh, learning to make my own coffee. <laughs> Girl, same. I'm good. Like I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> you you took it a step a, a, a level above me, which which again I want to bring it back to like me being very average in class because even like the even like the YouTube videos, I'll turn it off. But I've been seeing your coffee art and it's amazing. I've been researching a lot and watching a lot of YouTube, um, and I had to make some swaps on my machine. I kept, I kept trying to like change the coffee grounds. Like I made it really the coarse, and I made it really fine. But, um, but yeah, I've definitely mastered like a really good latte. So now I crave my my latte over like anyone else's. Same, same. I love that. (laughs) A side hack before we move on is um, you can vacuum seal your beans and freeze them and just buy the five pound bags. It ends up being just as delicious. And so like I buy five pounds and I use one pound at a time and freeze the other four pounds. It's easier. I don't have to buy coffee as much and it's like way cheaper. And I buy it from like coffee shops. Yeah. What's your go-to like coffee ground? Like you just go to your favorite coffee shop? So right now it's this place in San Diego called Bird Rock, but it changes and I buy the five pound bags online. Okay, nice. nice. Yeah, and, and the five pound bag is like, I don't know, 60 or 70 bucks. But if you go to a coffee shop and buy like a 12 ounce bag, it's like 25 bucks. Yeah. So it actually ends right. up, you end up saving over time. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. But um, cool. Okay. So you run a business now. You have a very large social media following. I feel like you are your business and your business is you. But between you and Vela Scarves, <laughs> there is probably like 300,000 followers or so. Mm-hmm. And so you are... Loki, an influencer as well. What's a day in your life like? So I I love making every day a different day. So um, we definitely have our marketing meetings scheduled three times a week, and our design meetings are scheduled two times a week, and then we have our night calls with with India. So there is that structure. So all of that is booked into my Google Calendar and everything. Between all of those meetings, it's very much up in the air. So I go to my like my office where I, if I want to get creative and catch up on some emails or I need to go um, go back to downtown LA for some sourcing. We're currently making hoodies now. So I'm like um, in and out of like meetings. And so I feel like my day to day is I get all of my work done. And then we have a big meeting in the middle of the day for catch ups and follow ups and then action plans. And then it ends with more work. <laughs> Yeah. And how much of your time would you say is spent on the creative part and how much of your time is spent on the operational part? You, not the business, but just you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really hard to even say that because I feel like 
as a business owner, you're, you're not really done thinking. Like even on weekends, like I'm still naturally just thinking about designs or thinking about ideas or I text my sister like on the weekends all the time. It's not healthy. I know I need to separate all of that. So it's kind of like embarrassing to even like say that I do all of this um, because I do need to adapt a more structural li- lifestyle. But I would say, I mean, I guess like 60% is design focused and then 40% is like operational. Yeah. And when you, is it ever the case that you just like walk into a coffee shop and you see a napkin, you're like, I need a hijab that color. And you just like put it in your pocket. Like, what? it's so embarrassing. Like I uh, gifted my, my cousin for her birthday, like these dried flowers. And like, it was like this aesthetically pleasing, like tissue paper. And it was like the perfect pinky dusty nude. And after I gifted it to her and I was like, do you like it? She's like, yeah. I'm like, can I have the tissue paper? She's like, what? Because <laughs> I wanted to take it in order to to source it. So yeah, that pretty much happens to me. That's awesome. I, I could totally see that. And where do you where do you want to take Vela? So you have your modals, you have your chiffon, you have your jersey, there are most recently magnet mm-hmm. pins out. By the way, they're like literally stuck to my microphone right now when I am not pinning my hijab. Um, so I actually strong. use them to hang up notes. Yeah. Yeah, they're very strong. And you're making hoodies. What's next? Where do you want Vela to go? Hopefully growing and expanding there's still like so many pockets of the market that we I feel like have yet to kind of tap into so we have a good grip on our US but we we would love to expand more into Europe and I think now Vela is kind of at the point of just growing in terms of products but keeping that as an innovation side because again like you can still be an innovator if you're creating just simple scarves, like you can still innovate it in a very different way. And that stays true to our last launch for the jersey launch where in the market, it was just big maxi jerseys. And then um, we were able to come out with a size that was perfect for someone adult size that just needed less fabric and someone who was as young as 10 who wanted to practice wearing hijab. So I think like, I just want to see Vela as just the powerhouse innovator and pushing products relevant towards the Muslim women. Definitely want to keep expanding on products. We're slowly trickling in towards hoodies. And yeah, I mean, who, who knows, honestly. And you know what's incredible is I've I've noticed with your last campaign, the Jersey campaign. So I'm a mother now. Your campaigns are always insanely beautiful. But you had a campaign that was like mother-daughter related. And, and the Vela girl started as like effectively Marwa types, yeah. who like cool girls. Yeah, I, I was one of them. Now I've slowly mm-hmm. turned into the mother type on your campaigns. But I noticed your campaigns are now expanding to get different ages, yes. to get different different people who may not see themselves as like that, you know, Hype, yeah. hype girl. You honestly nailed it because that's exactly what we're starting to actually do because we're we're realizing like we've grown. Me starting out Vela at, at 18, I'm no longer 18. Like I'm in my 30s now. So it's like everyone else has grown too. And it's like, let's not forget about that. And let's not forget about them. And and I think my my mom taught me that because as Vela was growing, she was so proud of it. And she would go from like buying scarves in Syria to now she only like grabs her Vela scarf. And I'm and it made me realize like women never want to stop looking good, you know? So it's like, why isn't that market space shared? And young girls aspire to be like the older girls. So why not just create a huge platform where all the women can connect? I know they always say you got to pick you got to pick a demographic and you got to pick like a certain niche. I think the niche is there. But in terms of the demographic, like... For me, I accept that challenge in being 
as versatile as possible. So yeah. And you know, I think you're thinking about it correctly because I think that in the hijab industry, when somebody chooses to wear a garment from whatever age through effectively, you know, until whenever they die or decide to take it off, for something especially as as much of a staple as hijab, it's almost like being like for the undergarments market, like pick a niche. Like for the most part, yeah. undergarments all function the same, right? And maybe they might look a little bit different, but at the end of the day, something that is comfortable and is a staple everybody of all ages will want and wear. I would use the same brand for Camila as I would use for myself yeah. as I would you know, recommend to my mom. So I think that there are some things where you don't even have to worry about the age. It's a matter of functionality and the fact that it's a staple and something that you're, you choose to wear every single day. Exactly. So for us, it's like we, we, we definitely want to expand in that and um, have someone that wasn't necessarily saw themselves in a Vela scarf that could now see themselves in it. And yeah, so it, it's been super fun to create these photo shoots. It's like one of my favorite things to do. Like after working so hard on the product, I think like one of my favorite things, um, even though it's like the high stress level of my job, it's putting together a campaign and a photo shoot and conveying that story. Which you're like a total maverick at, by the way. Oh. Thank you. Thank you so much. Literally, that campaign of like the sideways heads went on top of the other. If anybody follows Vela, they've seen this picture because it's so iconic. (laughs) I don't even really have to explain it aside from saying sideways sideways heads on top of each other. Sideways heads. It's yeah. so beautiful. That yeah, I, that till till today is one of my favorite shoots, and so funny how how it happened because it was like literally just like I think we only had less than ten minutes in the studio, and there was another company that had it booked after us, and we were like we knew that this part we had to get get done, and we were like, oh my god, oh my god, and we kind of just like literally frantically did it, and Adib literally nailed it by the mm-hmm. third click. Amazing. Yeah, that that really is an incredible shot. And for those of you who have not seen it, I'll definitely link both Moroa's Instagram and Vela's Instagram in the show notes. But before I go into your plugs for you, Marwa, how can people find you? Find me um, on Instagram uh, for Vela Scarves and Marwa Teak and also trickle down into YouTube and TikTok and all the other fun platforms. Even Clubhouse. You can find me on Clubhouse now. So... (laughs) Awesome. I will link all of those in the show notes. It's been so great chatting, Marwa, and I cannot wait to get my hands on those jersey hijabs and actually know what I'm talking about when I'm telling people they should absolutely buy it. (laughs) You're like, yes, yes, I need to confirm this. Thank you so much. And I'm honestly big mad that I could that I did not get a chance to ask you more questions because you are like seriously just I love watching your TikToks, by the way. Like, I'm definitely like a student <laughs> taking notes. I'm like, oh my god, this this woman is so is so smart, Mashallah. So, um, definitely next time, I'm gonna have to take over your podcast and ask you the questions. Definitely, I'm here for it. I can't. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs>